How can we move out of darkness and into the light? How can we move out of fear and more into love, harmony, and compassion? And how can we unite in a time of deep divisions? Big themes we're diving into with Her Holiness Sri 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 1008 Guruji Ponamji. In this episode, we cover why it's time to be united, reframing our relationship with the light, while the world needs more light warriors, and why we shouldn't use the hope, and so much more. It's time to live wide awake. Hey, it's Duff Dixon, and welcome to the podcast. Here, we get into the minds of some of the most conscious humans around the world to understand how our actions affect our mental well being, happiness, and the planet. Because self and planetary healing is really an inside out job. So, let's unpack this human experience together so that we can live wide awake. Her Holiness Sri 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 1008 Guruji Ponamji is a true guru, and according to her followers, a divine incarnation of light. Guruji, as she is lovingly known, stands for Gu, meaning dispeller of darkness, Ru, meaning giver of light, and Ji is a form of respect. Her mission is to solve the human emergency, climate change, consumerism, etc., by helping people heal themselves from the inside out. Guruji was born and raised in India and comes from a highly spiritual family with a long-established history of healing. She is a direct descendant of the Sheikh Gurus on her maternal side and is from the royal lineage from her paternal side. Her spiritual lineage descends from Sri 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 1008 Baba Niam Karaliji Maharaj, who was widely known as the healing saint of northern India. From an early age, Guruji was able to converse, see, and transform energies. She spent her educational years in India and England, completing her MB and MBA. She's worked with leading scientists in the Himalayas on healing properties of pure essential oils and conducted groundbreaking experiments with flower and crystal gems elixir in Australia for more than 18 years. A small note for this episode, we cover some topics that may be sensitive or triggering for some listeners. I encourage you to have an open mind and an open heart. It's okay to not agree with everything that you hear. Well, Your Holiness Guruji, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to the discussion. Well, I'd love to start at the beginning. What was your first memory or the moment that you realized you were going down the sacred path? May you ask a difficult question because uh, I was born this way, Stephanie. I knew lots of things from my childhood. My first experience of somebody telling me that this is my knowledge and pointing out that what I'm what I'm voicing is knowledgeable was my uncle who came to see me when I was 11 years old. I met him for the first time when I was 11 and he specifically came to New Delhi to meet me and he had lots to tell me about me. Wow. So uh, that was pretty amazing and pretty shocking. And he supposedly told my mother and later on me that uh, I used to appear to him energetically and taught him how to well study astrology and numerology. And I had no clue about astrology or numerology on the physical consciousness till then. So he gave me books that he said were mine. And I knew what was written in them, but I'd never read them. So that was the first memory till then. 
I was living a really happy-go-lucky life, and I thought everybody could see angels and everybody could see the little tiny garden fairies and everything. And as I'm the youngest in my family, uh, my older siblings thought it was nice to just buy my stories, as they told me. If I said, there's a, there's a pixie sitting on this flower, they'd say, yes, of course. So that was the beginning of the realization, you can say, that I was doing something different and the world was, everybody couldn't see what I was seeing. So it was, uh, it was very revealing and yet very shocking at the same time. So what can I tell you? Yeah. And what did you do after that? Did you then, like, what did you do with that realization once you, it sunk in? I think my uncle came every two years to visit me from then on. He made it his uh, focus that he had to come visit me and had to spend time with me. And he would introduce me to things. He would give me books. He would try to encourage me to just close my eyes and talk about things, questions, answer his questions that he was asking. So he opened up lots of things in me, which I thought was strange that I was answering him, but I could answer him. Was it like downloads that you feel like you were receiving at the time or there was just like this depth of knowledge that answers just came to you when he prompted you with these questions? It's like answers just just pour out when there is a necessity to do something and answers just appear. So it's like they were always there. They will always be there. And that's what I'm teaching people today, how to be connected to this knowledge in the cosmic, which is let's say, amassed and collected in the cosmic. And it is the true knowledge. So no book can give us true knowledge unless somebody has taken it from this fold of knowledge. So the original, very, very ancient manuscripts that were written, some of them are from this knowledge. And the others that are not from here and are from the conscious realm, they confuse the people because they write similar things and one is pure truth and one is adapted truth. Uh, yeah, it was an interesting journey and I think being from there on, going to my teens, going to college, it was like time to just be and not change myself and become something else. So this was all part of being me. I could look through and answer questions without reading books, even in college, which sometimes felt like, hmm, am I cheating? And then my lecturers would look at me and say, no, just go ahead. This is not written in the book. What more do you have to say? <laughs> which book am I reading? So, uh, yes, the journey was fun. I got lots of, uh, you can say, attention and encouragement from lots of my professors, friends, and surroundings. And I didn't feel that I had to step in there and, you know, become somebody different. I just wanted to be part of the everyday life. It's sometimes hard to be different. And so it was, it was keeping it, you know, in low key and not shocking people with my knowledge and just allowing myself to be in that environment, in that space, and just enjoying the company of everybody. 
So did you ever feel frustrated in a way or limited during that time having to be low key? Were you kind of waiting to be higher key <laughs> or was it actually like a, just a very calm, enjoyable time for you? No, it was just calm and enjoyable. Basically, uh, I wanted to do all the pranks and have all the fun and, you know, be able to crack all the jokes that I did. I got lots of jobs of responsibility. People wanted me to become the president of the university. And I said, no, 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 that is not something I'm going to become too much responsibility. I'm here to have fun. So, yeah, I I did lots of things, encouraged, made things in the college, changed the way college worked, decided to keep it a bit low-key because taking up these positions of responsibility and authority would obviously become a burden at some point in my head. So I preferred to have a connection with everyone and advise them when needed and then continue having my journey my way. And so after you finished college, what did you do next? Because I understand you also had your own spiritual teachers or other gurus that you spent time with and sort of had different experiences with them. So maybe you can share a little bit about that. Well, this was uh, quite a bit later. I went on to do post-graduation in English literature. Belonging means like coming from an Indian background out there, the parents think it's their responsibility to get you married off and settled and, you know, lead your own life kind of thing. So I wanted to keep escaping that route. So I had to keep telling my father, I'm not ready. I need to study some more. Mm -hmm. So I went on to do master's in English literature and then took a roundabout, did master's in business administrations. And after that was all over, it was like, and so when do you want to get married? So I said, oh, oh, that's a bit hard to tell my father that I don't think I want to get married. I want to do other things. And I didn't know what things I was looking for or how I could explain it to him. So I opted to go to England. My brother was in England to go study there. So I went away, spent some time in England. And then my brother went to Australia. So I went off to Australia right on his tail, said, oh, time for me to go to Australia as well, Dad. Instead of being stuck in India, if I'm in India, he will again pursue the topic, let's get married. <laughs> <laughs> so I avoided that. I did a stint, studied a bit in England, came to Australia, did some more studying, hung around with a group of astrologers and all these psychic people, you can say, because... In India, the group like this was totally different. And in Australia, they were totally different batch. Different how? Uh, in India, it's like more serious. Uh, you don't call people uh, psychics or tarot readers or things like that in my time, at least. It was either a priest in the temple who would be advising you on things it would be somebody who would then hold their acclaim and be like, how do you say it, like more respected and put in awe. And in Australia, they were just like chatting, happy-go-lucky group of people who were all astrologers and, you know, 
numerologists, tarot card readers and psychics. And it was fun to hang around with them because they had different insights into the whole science. So I did that for a couple of years and then, of course, had to come back to India. While I was in Australia, this whole group that I used to hang out with, everybody started coming up with this. We see an orange robe guy standing behind you. He's waiting for you. He's there. He's alive. He's in India. So I said, why is he standing behind me? <laughs> so that brought me curiosity, brought me back to India to see who is this person. And when I came to India, I said, I'm here to find the guru who is somebody who stands behind me, but I haven't met him. So I'd like to meet him in person. So I went on a search to look for him. In that process, I found plenty, plenty of gurus, which made me realize that if you say you want to find a guru, you can find plenty. You just have to turn around and there's another one at every crossing, at every road. And so I went through plenty. With some, I lasted for a couple of days, with some for a day, with some for a few hours only, and uh, ended up, uh, you know, about eight, nine months later that I've searched and searched. I don't think he exists. I don't find the right one because why I didn't last with the people is when I heard them, their knowledge was much more shallow. So I said, you can't be the person because I know that you don't know. So that is not a good place to be with somebody that you want to respect and you want to look up to and you already know that his or her knowledge is lesser than mine. So I had to move on and keep moving on. And then one day I was out with my mother shopping and I wanted to buy an ephemeris which is a book which tells you where the planets are at what time. And there was a queue. So as I was standing there in the queue waiting for my turn, my eyes fell on this book, which had a picture of Bhavanim Karoli. And as I made contact with this picture on the book, it said, so there you are. So I said, my God, who are you? And how can you talk so clearly from a picture? Mm. So he said, I can do anything. And that drew me to the book. I wanted to know who he was, what he was, and how could he talk like this? I mean, like plenty of things spoke to me before that. That was my life's experience, but I would never tell anybody that I was talking to statues, objects, flowers, insects, creatures, because I thought if I let them know the secret, they would really think I'm mad. <laughs> so... When this picture from the book spoke, it was it was the way that he spoke from the book that uh, drew me to the book in a big manner. And like at that time, I was on the verge that I can't find this guru of mine, so I'm going back to Australia. If I stay in India any longer, I would get entrapped. Dad would have me married off to somebody that I don't want to be married to. <laughs> because it was so hard to turn down these good boys who were actually serious about getting married, who would say, yes, they like you and their families like you. And then I have to find an excuse and a reason why I don't want to marry them. So it was, I felt very demeaning to them. I was like just undervaluing them and trying to shift the story from here to there to everywhere. 
So I thought it was best if I was not in front of dad, he wouldn't have to be worried. So I was planning my journey back to Australia. And just when this book, like Baba Neem Karoli, when he spoke to me from this book, I had just made a declaration that, okay, if in seven days I don't find my guru, I'm getting my ticket and going to Australia. Too much pressure. I mean, like, by now it wasn't just my father, it was the whole family that was on the bandwagon, that why aren't you getting married? So finding excuses to tell them that they would buy was becoming very hard. So I thought, okay, if the guru doesn't appear in the next seven days, I'm gone. And then uh, it was, I think, boiled down to the last three days, and I found my guru on the second last day. Wow. So it was a big, uh, let's say, a big revelation. But after this, speaking to Baba Neem Karoli in the book, uh, he would laugh and he would say, of course, your guru is waiting for you. You know who my guru is, then take me there. He said, okay. So I said, you said, okay, but now where's the address? Where do I go? He said, okay. He would smile. He would say, okay. And I would say, how do I find the person? But... Within the next, you can say, 24 hours, everything changed. Somebody found me, someone else, that go and ask him who your guru is. He knows everything. So I went to meet this fellow, and he told me that, yes, he would tell me where to go. He gave me the address of my guru, Babaji, and he said, but you can go only at this time and this time and this time, which was lots of restrictions. But anyways, I made it there to Babaji's ashram, which is my guru, Baba Sevananda Ji Maharaj. And of course, life changed the entire, you can say, a big circle. And then another big circle. And I was in a totally different world from the moment I met him. The purpose of life, the truth about life, it became very clear. And yet I had no words for it. The most surprising thing was that after I met my guru, Babaji, my father stopped pushing me to get married completely. He would just smile at me and say, whenever you're ready, you let me know. So I said, wow, that's a big change. That's the biggest change I've seen (laughs) is he's no longer pushing me, no longer giving me a sermon that, you know, time is slipping by and, you know, all the boys will get married and then the right boy I will not find. The whole story that parents love telling you was, it just vanished overnight. Dad stopped pushing me. He said, I'm happy to wait. Dad's friends were pushing me, but dad wasn't. So it was a a big, big shift. At least that's the way I looked at it. But yes, everything else also changed after meeting Babaji. How do you say? There was a calm. There was a clarity. There was a complete peace. And not that I wasn't peaceful before, it's just that it was different. There are no words to explain it. It's like world was different. If it was only when you were in his presence that you felt like that, or if that was a life change that even when you left or you were away from him that you still embodied, there was like something activated within you. The second part is true. That it was like something was activated. It was all there. Uh, Just that I would disappear into the astral for very long spells. I could just suddenly disappear even while talking to people. They would say, what, one minute she was talking, the next minute she's fast asleep. That began with my family members. 
till they realized how can I go into such deep sleep with the flip of the fingers, but it was me disappearing into the astral and going away on a journey and not knowing how to tell people that I'm off, I'll be back. I did all my astral journeys and had enormous good times with my guru who was there in the physical, he was there in the astral, he was always with me. It wasn't that I didn't know him, it's just that it became very clear that I knew him for a very long time. And according to him, he, he's been there with me since I was born. So it was, it was a different experience till now. All the gurus that I had met were totally different. And my guru, uh, Babaji, as I call him, was in a totally different class. Majority of my lessons with him were never in physical words. Even in being with him in the physical, things were in, being enacted in the energetic. It's very hard to explain. Like put it into words uh, would, I'll have to invent words to give <laughs> you a clearer picture of that. The maximum I can explain is that, yes, he was, he had a presence which was like, you know, if I say 3D, it doesn't do it justice. But if I could explain that a human, which is already 3D, had another 3D dimension around them. And in every aspect that you looked at them, there was another journey that you went away on. And on the physical conscious, you were there and you were talking. And yet there was a parallel playing here, which was in the energetic. It sounds incredible. <laughs> As I said, it's very hard to explain to a person because uh, English language doesn't have the words. Neither does any other language how to put that there was always a multi-dimension playing around Babaji and you could be in his physical presence and you could just disappear into the astral and you could step out of your body and see your body is there chatting away with so many people and you were gone. And then you'd come back and you would still be in the same zone. Uh, nobody else would come to know that you were not there. And was this something that others experienced or was it more that you had this special experience with him? I was his only main disciple, you can say. Hmm. According to him, he was there only for me. And the other people, he had millions of devotees. Disciple, he had only one. Devotees... Oh, no end to them. They would begin at seven in the morning until seven in the evening, eight in the evening, people would keep coming. From everywhere, from all over India, there would just be visitors. If he didn't want visitors to come, then he would actually energetically, you can say, close that. And you'd suddenly realize you spent a whole day with Babaji and nobody came. Ha, ah, mm. what a beautiful day. Otherwise, there were always interruptions because he had so many devotees. And yet, in spite of these people coming, you could be in a space all alone with him. Sounds very powerful. Uh, it was a very, very magical experience with him in the physical, in the astral, with him sending me away to Australia repeatedly. I spent at least five, seven years traveling to India every three months, traveling back to Australia, traveling to India, traveling back to Australia. And what did he have you doing? Writing a book technically, and every day was an experience and a new learning. 
uh, he would be there with me teaching me numerous things energetically and I think being in Australia gave much more space of learning with him than I did while I was in India. It was like I told you being in a different realm with him altogether and Australia was of course much more peaceful and you could go away, you could sit on the beach, you could camp out in the middle of the natural park somewhere and let's say much less uh, populated Australia's population and you know you could find areas of total peace and quiet whereas in India there was always somebody on my tail you know and I think it was that I knew too many people in India as well so Mm. there was constantly a demand for somebody wanting my attention it was deep learning with him he didn't have to be on the physical with me to teach me And like I said, on the physical, even if I was there with him on the physical, he was teaching me in the parallel on the energetic. Yeah, sounds very surreal almost. And so how long did you journey and learn with him? 20 years. 20 years. It's a long time. Yes. I think too short. I understand. (laughs) Yeah. Seemed very, very small. There was no time when you were with Babaji. And yet time flew by so fast that makes you realize that when I count back 20 years, like you said, really, it didn't seem like 20 years, seemed like just it was yesterday. So where did your path take you next after, after the time with him? Oh, well, where did it take me? Brought me here because he encouraged me to open my energies as a healer which was the main thing that he pushed me towards, that it's time for me to paint people is what he put in words. What does that mean to paint people? Uh, You see, uh, very interestingly, everybody has an aura. You have the seven colors in your body of the rainbow. And when the colors get imbalanced, your aura image gets blurry. So paint people means rectify the colors in their bodies and make them bright and beautiful again. But I did a stint of painting after my father passed away. I, my father, of course, never let me do a job or work anywhere. Uh, it was not what he considered uh, that uh, women should do, or especially his daughter shouldn't be, let us say, replying to somebody in a job. So... There were no jobs while I was, while he was alive. After he passed away, I did a stint. I ran a gallery where I painted and I did things. And then one day when I go to Babaji with this painting that I'd done of Lord Ganesha, he looks at me and he smiles and he says, okay, you've completed your journey. So I said, what? He said, journey completed. So I said, of what? And then he laughed. He said, of Painting pictures on paper and canvas. Now paint people. So I was very surprised, like you are saying, okay, what does it actually mean? And yet it made sense to me. That's the parallel that I'm telling you. It made complete sense to me. And yet my conscious mind was in a blur. What does he mean? I said, of course, it's making total sense. Paint people. Yeah, of course. The next thing I knew is that I hadn't even made myself ready And there were people 
looking for me, asking for this assistance that they would like a healing from me. And all I had to do was look at the sky and say, so what am I supposed to do with them? And the words would come back, paint them. So I started by using crystals. I was very fond of crystals. And then it went on to crystals, to essential oils, to herbs, to just plucking leaves off the tree, saying thank you to the tree, placing it on people and said, green color was missing from your body and putting it in and they would be healed. So it was just the journey, like I said, of learning. And that made me quite popular in India for a while that I decided this was too much. And so I told him, I'm not ready for this, this type of attention from people because I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. It felt like I'd lost all my freedom because the minute I'd get recognized, there would be a crowd of people around me asking me questions, wanting to hold on to me. So it's like, I needed bodyguard. I needed a bouncer, you know, come take people out away from me. I don't want to be touched. So it was that. And then he realized, yes, okay. This was not the way he wanted it to go, but People just wanted the change and they thought if they blocked my pathway, I'd have to do something for them. It didn't work out very well in my head. I thought I'd lost all my freedom of being me. And in my head, being me was still, you know, my teenage good years and not being recognized as a healer or being recognized as somebody who could do things. So I ran away back to Australia and hid there for a while, didn't come back to India for a couple of years, said it, it's not what I'm, I'm not ready for this. And then he said, okay, what are you ready for? I said, just to be with you, to do so much of work in the world, no? It's still something that I haven't uh, gotten used to. But then of course he had to put me here, so he gave me the, it is called like, um, a transference of energies. So he transferred his energies to me way back in 2005. And I had, you know, there was, of course, a group of people who were following me till then, but I didn't consider them disciples. I just thought they were my good friends who hung around with me. And he put a stop to that and said, no, no, they're your disciples. They're not your friends, so give them all guru mantras, so take them on as your disciples. And that, of course, changed life a bit more. And then here I am, because he did this all while he was there. He transferred his energies to me in 2005, and he left his physical body in 2008. And he was very glad he enjoyed his interaction with me and what he called my kids. But they were basically my disciples and they everybody would go to India like, you know, at least once a year to be with Babaji. And that was the best fun time. I would visit him more often, but everybody else would come there once a year to spend time with him. and me together. So yeah, after he passed away, then of course he changed my life much more deeply. 
that I had to appreciate and accept that the responsibility was now with me to continue the lineage. And that was a hard realization. That was it. I had to follow it. I miss his physical presence, but his energetic presence is always with me. I surprise the people who are here with me quite regularly because I will talk about Babaji as if he's sitting on his chair. And I said, of course he is. Just that you can't see him. Because for me, that's natural. He had been like that with me for all the 20 years that I knew him. So he would be energetically be there. And sometimes I would like, you know, come back and flop on my bed and realize Babaji is sitting there, sit up and say, okay, sorry, Babaji. And then he'd say, no, this is your bed, continue. I would get up from the chair. And uh, hence for me, like having Babaji around energetically was always there. So his energetic presence is there and I don't miss his energetic presence. His physical presence is what is what has gone away. Mm. And did you have a similar experience where you felt the energy of one of your disciples and they found you as well? Or that hasn't quite happened yet in, in your lifetime? But there have been a few who have recognized me and said they've been waiting for me for centuries and they were very excited to meet me. And yet uh, it's different with everybody, you know. It's... It's what a disciple is looking for and what is the readiness. Like I told you, I when I met Babaji, it was like, it wasn't that I was ready. It's just that everything changed the 365 degrees around me or 360, I'm adding five degrees to that. It was a whole swing around of life. Life as I had till then completely changed to life with Babaji was. And I think all that happened was the realization that he was there energetically with me all the time and that we could walk through all dimensions and all times without, you can say, without having to be bothered with any luggage, baggage, nothing. You could just go. You want to take a trip to the astral. You want to go to the other side. You just went. Do you think that everybody has the potential to be able to tap into that or it's only able for like some, someone like yourselves on like the, the guru level that's really just embodied this and, and born with it? It's hard for me to say, but once upon a time I was so excited I would take everybody on the astral journey. They just had to believe in me, lie down, close their eyes and I would take them. And when they'd come back, they, everybody, like, I would have a room full of, like, say, 10, 15 people. Everybody would give me a different story of where they'd been. So I'd look at them and say, hmm. And then it was very simple. They can only, they can only see wherever I'm taking them to what their energy level is. You've heard the story of the three blind men who were asked to describe an elephant, and they all described the elephant differently. One said it has a long trunk. One said it has big stumps and whatever, whatever the explanations and descriptions they gave. All of them gave a different description which suited the elephant. And yet it was not the whole elephant. So everybody that I took on these journeys had the same experiences. They would give me the picture of the elephant, but just 
that glimpses that they were able to see. It was interesting. And I read that you're just your followers or your disciples describe you as a, a divine incarnation of light, which is such an incredible description. But was it moments like this where you also realized that you had so much light in you? And what does it really feel like to embody light to that degree? I'm going to give you a funny answer, natural. I, I've been like this, like I told you, ever since I was born. After a while, when Babaji told my mother that I was somebody different, my mother said, started recalling, and she would tell me stories of what I used to do when I was a kid. I would look at her, then my aunt would tell me that what she saw in me when I was a kid. And it was different, like I said. Felt like stories, but that's how they remembered incidences from my childhood and they would tell me that this 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 is what I used to do and my mother of course uh, became a great believer after Babaji told her because she wanted she was Babaji's disciple as well and Babaji said you will stay my disciple but I'm the one who's going to teach her she did follow everything that I told her to learn and improved herself greatly and changed her belief system, her thinking, or her to believe in everything that I was saying was a big step for her because usually mothers are the other way around. They want to tell the children to believe in what they are saying. Of course. When my mother changed it around. She believed everything that I would say and she would follow it. Yeah. And uh, I read that your mission is to solve the human emergency around climate change and consumerism by helping people to heal themselves from the inside out. So could you share how this mission came to you or when it was that this kind of developed as, as your mission for your life? Right from the beginning. I told you this is what Babaji meant, paint the people, was fix the deficiencies and you know, stabilize the colors of the rainbow in people, in the world, around, everywhere, because nature is being stripped of its goodness and human beings are not even realizing what they're doing to Divine Mother Nature. Uh, we are using and abusing our environment a bit too much. Uh, the coming of COVID is also the, uh, you can say, the overachievers, who wanted to find out the extreme possibilities of doing things. And we have increased our intelligence level greatly. We have made great changes, means like, see, what we are doing, talking on, on a video, I can see you and you are in Singapore and I'm in America. And this has been, become possible only with people who have had the insight to develop this. So the progress of intelligence has been great. We have invented like millions of things. Previously, it was slower. People were more hands-on doing things. And like I was just explaining to somebody that before Christ, the era was of barbarianism. After Christ, the era became of intelligence. So mankind, you can say, took a big leap and became much more intelligent and creative 
and you can say improved everything around. So these changes had to come, but along with that, nothing stays positive. So when so much of intelligence is increased in the world, then so will come the abuse of this intelligence. So we have taken our limits to the extreme. Like I said, we're paying, we're not paying attention to how much damage we're doing. And if there was a group of people who started putting out these energies, like now I have a group of people that are called the light soldiers, the light bearers or the light soldiers. And the task I've given them is that every day, at least recall and do three to four positive things. And if this could spread to a greater number of people and in every, you can say, city, country, village, we could have at least a small holding of people who would put this energy out that to be positive is the most rewarding thing. To be giving is the positivity. People have, along with the progress, people have learned how to become more selfish instead of more giving. So this whole thing needs to be reversed. The energies have to become more positive. The clock has to change into the light again. It's not that we have moved away from light. It's just that we are trying to adjust the light to our requirement and not the other way. We need to adjust ourselves to the frequency of light. And as our intelligence is growing, we have become, let us say, more arrogant. We believe light should bend itself to how we want it to be. So it's just taking a step backwards and becoming more humble, more grateful, more loving towards our true selves. And that will become a mirror for the world. And if people started feeling the empathy, the connection with everything on earth in a positive manner, then things like COVID came to remind us that across the world, we are still one race of human beings. We're not like Chinese or American or Europeans or Asians. We are all human beings and we are being affected by the same energies. And if tomorrow it becomes too hot and the ice in the North Pole and South Pole start melting, it will affect everybody's future. So COVID came along to teach us time to be united, time to uphold that it's not the light that has to bend to our requirement. We have to bend to the light's requirement. And that is a message that is not getting through to the people. So it's get vaccinated, get more vaccinated. Now, even with vaccines, people are getting sick. What they're not realizing is they just have to change their mind frame. We believe that we're going to make a vaccine before the next strain of the COVID is going to come out. And yet we fail because the next step of the COVID becomes different and still takes down hundreds of people or thousands or whatever, millions, are still become victims of the next strain and of the next strain and of the next strain. So we've already experienced, what, three or four strains. And 
it will continue because we feel we are beating the covid and energetically the covid is beating us and we're in a battle with it whereas all we have to do is appreciate that that's just a virus and if i am complete with light within me it has to bow to the light within me and leave it cannot stay in a world that is full of light yet it can stay in a world full of fear and doubt so what's holding the covid here is our own mind frames if we become positive and we become fearless covid will have to bow and leave and a long time ago there was this philosophy that if you're in the jungle and you're faced by a tiger you know stand very still and look into its eyes if you look into its eyes it'll bow and it'll leave so nobody understood where this message was coming from and what did it actually mean because it's like what before i connect my eyes to the tiger i'll be eaten <laughs> i better run <laughs> but that's not the case what the true essence behind this phrase is make a soul bonding make a soul connection with him and if you make a soul connection with the lion or the tiger and you say well thank you very much but you know there's so many things that you can eat i request you to spare me and it'll go away it will not eat you which is why you see so many stories they are very loving animals and people who brought them up as pets are it's completely amazing to see how loving and how they respond to the people that they decide to be caring about or the people who have become caring about them and so there is proof enough in the world that they can be changed because they respond to the love that the people are putting out yet what do we put out towards a lion fear oh my god there's a lion run and that's what we do we follow our fear instincts so we're making one vaccine over another vaccine over another vaccine and the whole world is affected by it and yet we have not come together we have not made it to come together as one to appreciate that we are all humans and this is affecting us and the only way to turn it around is acknowledge accept the truth that yes you are the virus that can take us down we appreciate it we respect it and we thank you for it and please be on your way and bye bye and it'll go away but such prayers are being said in like very tiny groups hasn't become big enough to shake the world because now covid is everywhere so we have to go back to acknowledging and accepting its reality and requesting it in humbleness as if lots of diseases have come which spread the darkness which bring you can say mankind to its knees that how are they going to ever beat this and when the energy of positivity becomes strong the disease gets beaten ultimately it thrives and it lives in our space due to the fear of our own minds so how we can change that is very simple we just have to come together in love appreciate and respect whether i am green blue orange pink anybody and everybody can be affected by this virus without even knowing that they've been affected so the virus is like a little thief it can get into anybody at any time without informing it 
It doesn't inform the individual, just goes and makes a house there with that person, says, hello, I'm your new house guest. I'm going to be here for whatever time I feel like, because it's not up to the individual who contacts this virus that how many days is this going to take him or her down. It depends entirely upon how strong the virus was that took you down. Some people recover in a week, some in a fortnight, some not even in a month. It's how good a host you are, how much fear do you have, that long I live with you. When you conquer that fear, I'll, I'll leave you. So basically that's the story. We, we need to understand that the time, the necessity is to unite, to uphold the light, the love, the positivity of everything. The essence is the positivity. And once we are positive, we will succeed. We will succeed in removing anything that's in the pathway of positivity. And by remove, I mean it'll automatically just melt. See, where light is, darkness is not. Where darkness is, light is not. So if we open the light within us, there can be no darkness. At least within us, if we've opened the light, there will be no darkness. And if everybody becomes a light bulb, guess what happens? The whole world is glowing and there is no need for darkness. And that was how I looked at things and how I still look at things. The more people who can become positive and step out of fear, the easier it'll be for the world to come back to its normal, well, say, it can be, never be normal, normal like we knew normal once upon a time. But whatever the new normal will be, we'll be there. That was really beautiful. Thank you for sharing in such detail. I'm just curious because there's a lot of people that are still stuck very deeply in the fear and in the darkness, especially after the difficulty of the last few years and how everything has been flipped upside down around the world. And so how do you advise people to start stepping into the light that little bit more and to get out of this fear? Because sometimes it can be so consuming. It's almost everything in our societies in, in certain ways reinforce this fear, reinforce or, or people, you know, spiral down into that darkness. And it can be quite difficult for them to try and see that there's light again. Oh boy, we can only, let's say, put out our best. As many people who want advice, we're open to talking to anyone and everyone and in turn advising people who have understood the message to spread it to more people because at this time all that we need is a little breakthrough in people understanding for people to get back on track. Mankind or humankind is very intelligent. We are so engulfed by the fear of COVID that we have lost our ability to listen to ourselves. Ultimately, as you can see in history, such diseases have constantly struck humanity and then they have suddenly disappeared. The disappearance of it happens when the light, the people have, more people have opened the light and it'll stay as long as there is fear. Fear creates darkness. So how do we advise people? It's like, come step out of yourself. If nothing else, you don't need anybody to follow you just need to follow your own truth. You just need to become complete within yourself. You just need to uphold 
that I have to do something positive regularly to keep myself in that positive energy. And that's it. And that'll help change the world. It's, what shall I say, the, the growth of positivity in this world where people are becoming selfless, caring, and they want to share themselves with the others, then positivity will again rule this world. If there's anything else that um, I have missed, you'll have to ask me again because I went off on a, on my tangent when I look at the world and I see what potential mankind has and we're not using our potential. It's sad indeed. When someone's found the light themselves, what do you think the best way for them to be able to use their sphere of influence to bring others into it? Is it just embodying that and other people finding that? Or are there certain ways that other people can join the Open the Light movement or spread that message? I've been telling people that I'm happy to put messages in wherever and whatever is required. I'm happy to answer any question. At any time that people are in need, I'm happy to answer where they are stuck and how they can take themselves out of it. Because ultimately, it's people's demands, people's choice. If they have the demand that they would like to take themselves out of it, they will receive the message. The message, like I told you, is clear. Positivity. How do you become positive? I have people who will continue to come and ask me, and how do we become positive? It's so easy. You just have to think everything that is happening is happening for the good. We think COVID is a curse. I'm saying COVID came here to show us how to become united. So look at the positive that it came for. Why are we focusing on the negative? If we appreciate and accept it as the positive, then positive it will have to become. It will have to change with the positivity that we start feeling towards it. At the moment, it's an enemy. So with an enemy, what happens? War, defense. COVID has got two, you can say, bombs up its sleeves, then mankind is coming up with four. So the battle is on. How do you have a treaty of this battle? Say, I respect you. And it'll say, have to say, then I respect you. So when the mutual respect happens, the fear disappears, the disease disappears. We're holding on to it with our fears. We're holding on very tightly because we're fearing the worst. I'd like to also just ask, so more than just the COVID and the pandemic that we're living through right now, we have obviously a big issue with the planet and climate change and what's going to be coming in the next few years. Do you think that there's enough people awakening right now so that we have a chance to change the trajectory of what's going to be happening to the planet or any sort of advice for people on that topic? Well, as you can see, the first strain of COVID was very serious and quite a few people died in it. And it sent out, the pandemic was the fear. So the fear got unleashed. Till now, people are, let us say, uniting, binding, are coming up with the positivity to quite a, quite a degree that the last strain that is coming in is there, but it has lost its velocity, it has lost its force. 
So it has picked up more light in it. And yes, the planet is facing a big force that we have created for ourselves. Like I said, with our selfishness, our takings, we have created a negativity and we have not been reverent enough or humble enough into sharing the love Mother Nature gives us. We are not sharing, we are taking. So what needs to happen in the future is to have the, the giving again happen. There have been quite a few people, you know, around the world who are trying to bring this awareness, trying to put out that energy. And all I can say is that on a daily basis, we are sending encouragement, all the people working. It's not, I think the reason why I was explaining to you that I could be with Babaji on the physical and on the energetic astral was this. I'm trying to teach people to be there in the energetic astral as well so that this message can be energetically released to people. Let's become positive. Let's become one. Let's rise up above the differences and the angers that we have and become positive. The planet is becoming hot due to the anger that we are each one is holding into themselves. And if this anger can be released, planet become happy again. It'll show us how to coexist. At the moment, because there's a battle on who will win, then it's very clear, mother nature and planet will win. Human race is not strong enough to battle the divine forces. Hence, it'll be so much more advisable for human beings to just bow and appreciate. Mother Nature gives us abundance in everything. There is never a shortage of what Mother Nature can give us. We have to appreciate it and acknowledge it. So how do I send this message across? At my level, I'm trying energetically daily, physically daily. It's like Come on, let's get the people to understand the necessity of being caring, of being loving, of sharing ourselves with the world at large. Uh, it's like the boundaries between countries have to subside. The unity has to flow. I mean to say we can still remain different countries, but we can work together. I told you. COVID came to show us this. If the fire came, it'll not wait. It'll just wipe everybody out. If the water came, it will not stop. It'll wipe everybody out. At this moment, Divine Mother Earth has sent her messengers as COVID to show us that, look, nature is far, far stronger than us. Come back into the fold of love with nature. We are using and abusing Divine Mother Nature. We need to be caring, giving, and we will receive abundance. So, you know, you look at, uh, what is it? I saw a serial with David Attenberg's trying to educate the world that we are increasing the chances of the planet heating up. 
and what are the reasons that it is heating up. And it made sense. His appeal was that let's stop it. But of course, he was just talking on the physical. I'm talking on the energetic. What has to change is our energies. On the physical, we cannot stop growth, but we can always choose the option to be energetically positive. Growth is not the problem. The problem is the anger that is coming with the growth, the dissatisfaction that is mounting up in the world. We need to come into love, into gratitude, into acceptance that the more superior force is Mother Nature. Mother Nature has the power to do anything and everything that she wants. So if we start loving her and giving her the love that is required, then we will have a beautiful world back again into its running orbit. At the moment, we have a fearful world. This fear gives rise to anger. And you meet the people who have lost family members to COVID. They are angry and they are angry and they are angry. Said, why do you look that COVID claimed or COVID killed your dear, you can say, wife, daughter, son, child, whatever? I said, why don't you look at this person, sacrifice their lives so that love could be born in the world again? We've lost that deep connection of positivity and love with Mother Nature. We need to bring it back. And when we are connected there and we acknowledge the superiority of Mother Nature, then everything will be set right again. Mother Nature has been giving us warnings, you know. We've had the tsunamis, we've had the mad cow disease, we've had the chicken disease, I believe. We've had plenty of pandemics break out, which was not human related for us to wake up, to take heed. We don't. The stubbornness of the human race is very strong. If only we gave up the stubbornness and worked in love, harmony and commitment, the world will bloom again. That was really wonderful. How can we live wide awake? Oh, very easy. I just have to awaken your awareness and you're wide awake. Your eyes closed and your body motionless means nothing. The one thing that I teach everybody is how to use your time in becoming positive while you sleep. So that means you're wide awake while you sleep. How do we do that? Because my dreams are very, my dreamscapes are a very heavy place. <laughs> I wouldn't say that it was positive. How do you be positive in your dreams? <laughs> well, I have a little exercise that I get people to do every night. It is to awaken the higher self within ourselves. So we tap, we ask the higher self that I surrender all my physical self to my higher self to work with me, to show me the truth within myself while my physical body takes rest. So means like... Hmm. It's, it's hard to compact it. I've given you like one phrase. I can say, uh, light a candle, put it in front of you, meditate, do some deep breathing so that your body is aligned, do some light exercises 
which only mean opening your arms straight at 90 degrees. So just before you go to sleep, you take 10 minutes. At the most, might be 15 minutes, depending upon how you're enjoying yourself. Because after a while, you enjoy this exercise. You rotate your arms, you open your heart, you talk to yourself, you look in the candle, you do some deep breathings for five minutes. Then you, means like after you've done your physical exercises, you sit down, you relax the body in totality, you look into the candle and you bring that light within yourself. And once that you're connected to that light, you start giving yourself, let us say, a prayer that I completely dissolve myself into this light. I become one with this light. I connect to my higher self and I surrender my physical self and all my conscious awareness to my higher self so that while I sleep, I can work with my higher self to become positive, to become clearer about my goals, about my targets, about achieving the best within myself. So, I have a prayer, but like, I don't know, you were going to ask me this question. These people have a prayer that I gave them to do, give them to do every night, but you can make your own prayer. It's positive words of addressing yourself in positivity and giving yourself, you know, tapping your heart and giving yourself the positive command that be awake, my higher self, while my physical self and my conscious self go to sleep so that I may work with you wide awake. So there is never a moment lost in time when I'm not working with my higher self to achieve the best within myself. It's beautiful. I'm definitely going to try that. <laughs> and hopefully I can have more positive sleeping experiences as well. So thank you so much for sharing. Okay, firstly, can I tell you that please don't use the word hope. Say, I will certainly Okay, get. I will certainly have more positive dreams and sleep. <laughs> if your body needs to dream, it will dream. If it doesn't need to dream, it won't dream. But don't be hopeful. Hopeful is a circle with no endings. So from hope, you never come out. I'm positive that I will achieve it. So you will. See, first step to positive thinking Never use the word hope. Never use the word I'll be happy. I'm committed to becoming positive. Happiness is not always positive. Positivity can be happy. But negativity can also be happy. Really? Yeah, if I'm drunk, I'm so happy. Half the world would believe that. So happiness is not limited to being in the positivity. Positivity is always happy. So two words that you release from your vocabulary is hope and happy. Convert hope to determined certainty and release happy into positivity. Okay. I will be positive. Positivity will give me the ultimate bliss. So the bliss of positivity is absolute happiness. But happy by itself is not complete good. If you can go by that and achieve that, that is good. So when you make your prayers, do not use negative words. Okay? So not 
when you say, I will not do this. Not is not heard by the subconscious. So you will do it. So what you've got to say is, I release the necessity to allow myself to drown in negativity from now. I would not use negative either, I would say. From now on, I will only be positive. Which means there is no place for anything but positivity in my life. It automatically means that there is no negative in my life. But when I say the prayer to myself, use only positive words. Using the word negativity will be picked up by the conscious mind and how it processes negativity. So the message will not get to your higher self. You want to talk to your higher self? Only talk positive. I will achieve it. If my higher self is working for me, I can achieve everything that I want to. There's no stopping positivity. So you've heard the story that a candle was burning on the shore and the ship was lost in the darkness of the storm. And the sailor kept his eye on that light to keep him warm through the storm and survived. Of course, the light that was miles away from him but he could see was not keeping him warm physically. How was it keeping him warm? In positivity. So become like that sailor. Focus on the light and achieve it. Do not let, hmm, wrong. There is nothing that can stop you from an achievement if you are determined. See, when I say nothing can stop you, the nothing will not be heard by my subconscious, my higher self. Hence, everything will stop me. So I must rephrase my statement in the positive. So how do I say it positively? I will achieve it. I'm determined to achieve it. I shall get there. I'm determined that me and my higher self will become one. But that's what will happen. If I give myself a not or a doubt, I have failed. So I have to be positive at all times. So success is what I will achieve is a positive statement. I will not fail is a negative statement. They both mean the same. It's the way you have placed your words. So let's place the words positively. Let's achieve the positivity that we are looking for, which is union with the higher self while I sleep. So I'm wide awake while I sleep, always. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending this time with us and sharing all your wonderful wisdom and light. Uh, it was a really fantastic conversation. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Otherwise, I have no more questions. Be positive. Like I just taught you, phrase everything in, I will achieve it. I have achieved it. So if I'm saying that there are so many people that have achieved it, is it something that can stop you from achieving it? Because it's achievable. Then you shall achieve it. Becoming one with the higher self is the absolute dream of each human's soul requirement. It's beautiful. We can all achieve it. We got to try. And if we try in determination, we will succeed. And when we succeed, we are free. Free from every limitation that we have placed upon ourselves. So let's free ourselves from our limitations and let's fly. 
Let's ride the rainbows. Let's sing with the wind. And let's dance to the tunes of the sun and the moon. I spent today trying to trying to show two girls that the rainbows of the sun and the rainbows of the moon are both so important. If only we give ourselves the eyes to see the rainbows of the moon, we will sparkle with joy. We have taken it away from ourselves because we think, how can you see a rainbow in darkness? We've but got to open our minds and we will see the rainbows. There's magic that the moon creates for us every night. I know we like our sleep, but sometimes spend time with the moon. It is a totally different experience. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. That's really beautiful. At any time, whenever there's a question, I'm prepared to give the answer. It's wonderful. Three things I'm taking away from this conversation with Guruji. Firstly, we are all one race. It is time to be united. People have learned how to be more selfish and less giving, and this needs to be reversed. Secondly, we have to bend towards the light, not try to make the light bend to us. And thirdly, the problem is not growth, but it is the anger that comes with the growth. The stubbornness of human beings is very strong. If we only gave up the stubbornness and worked in love, harmony, and compassion, then the world would bloom again. I'm curious, what did you think about the episode and what were your main takeaways? Is there a topic you want me to dive deeper into? I'd love to hear from you. You can find me at Steph L. Dixon or at Live Wide Awake. If you got something out of the podcast and you want to continue this journey with us, consider subscribing and supporting. I hope that today's conversation stirred something deep within you ready to awaken. And until next time, live wide awake. Mm-hmm.